Welcome to Bedtime History. Hello, this is Breck. Guess what, parents? Bedtime History is now available on Story Button. Story Button is the easiest way to listen to our show without using screen devices like your phone or a tablet. Story Button is like a radio that's built for easy listening to your favorite kids' podcasts like ours. And the best part is there's no subscriptions or fees to access the content. This week, save $10 and get free shipping when you go to storybutton.com forward slash bedtime history. That's storybutton.com forward slash bedtime history. A shout out to our newest Patreon donors, Sam and Jack from Beverly, Massachusetts, Felix from Tucson, Arizona, and Cecile from Grand Blanc, Michigan. If you'd like to donate to Bedtime History, become an Apple subscriber or go to BedtimeHistoryStories.com and click on Donate in the menu to donate via Patreon. And you also get access to our 200-plus catalog of episodes, ad-free. Today there are hundreds of vaccines that help protect people and animals from all kinds of diseases. But just 200 years ago, there was only one. It was the very first vaccine, and it protected people against one of the worst diseases known. People would get a high fever, feel tired and achy, and break out in red sores that changed to blisters over time. Tragically, many of the people who got it died, and many others were left with terrible scars on their skin. But the good news, because of the vaccine, people never get this disease anymore. In fact, no one has come down with it in over 40 years. It's been eradicated the only virus ever to be completely wiped out. The disease is called smallpox. The story of smallpox and the vaccine that beat it starts much more than 200 years ago. Before the modern vaccine for smallpox was invented, people in China and India had been using a different type of vaccination, which is usually called inoculation against the disease for hundreds of years. Warning, this is a little bit gross. To inoculate someone, they would take pus from the sores of a person with smallpox, dry it out, and grind it into a powder. Then they would use a long tube, like a straw, to blow the powder into a person's nose. It sounds pretty yucky, but it worked. The person who got the powder up their nose often got a little sick with smallpox, but after that, they couldn't get the disease again for a long time. Their body learned from the minor sickness how to fight the disease. Another early method of inoculating people against smallpox was similar. It also involved taking a bit of the goo from an infected person's sore, but then they would rub it into a small cut on the healthy person. Just like the nose route, the person usually got a little sick, but from then on, they were protected. Kind of makes me glad we only have to get shots with tiny needles now. The second method of inoculation spread to the Ottoman Empire in what is now the country of Turkey and Africa. It was in the Ottoman Empire that an English noblewoman named Lady Mary Wortley Montague first came across it. Lady Mary had come down with smallpox in 1715 at the age of 26. It left her with terrible scars on her face and caused her eyelashes to fall out. Her brother had died from it. She knew firsthand just how terrible a disease it was and dreaded the thought of her own children getting it too. Two years after recovering from smallpox, Lady Mary was living in the Ottoman Empire, where her husband was an ambassador. There she witnessed the inoculation procedure and learned how it could save the lives of those who had it. 
Lady Mary immediately asked her doctor, Charles Maitland, to inoculate her five-year-old son, Edward. Edward, like most people, got a little sick, but went back to playing happily after a few days. When they returned to England, Lady Mary tried to encourage people to get this life-saving procedure, but many were suspicious. The idea of making yourself sick in order to prevent getting more sick later seemed a little crazy, even backwards. But in 1721, a terrible outbreak of the disease, as well as some very effective publicity, began to change people's mind. In 1721, London began to see more and more cases of smallpox. It threatened to become a full-blown outbreak. Lady Mary insisted that Dr. Maitland inoculate her young daughter, Mary. They invited several other doctors to witness the process so they could learn from it and tell others if it worked. The inoculation was a success. Soon Princess Caroline, the future Queen of England, had her children inoculated. Many others followed the royal example. In colonial America, an enslaved man known only as Onesimus was responsible for bringing a smallpox inoculation to North America. In 1721, a smallpox outbreak was threatening the city of Boston. Infected people who had arrived by boat in the city were shut up together in a house with a sign that read, May God have mercy on this house. Onesimus had told his master, a minister named Cotton Mather, about inoculation years before. He himself had been inoculated as a child in Africa. His culture was among the many in West Africa that had been practicing it for years. Mather asked other enslaved people about the practice, and many confirmed what Onesimus had told him. Cotton Mather began to promote the idea of smallpox inoculation wherever he could. He saw that many lives could be saved if more people were inoculated. But many colonists were suspicious of the idea. In the face of the 1721 outbreak, though, people began to rethink their positions. Cotton Mather teamed up with one doctor who was willing to help him, Zabdiel Boylston, to inoculate anyone who would let them. They ended up inoculating 242 people. Only a few of these became very sick, compared with hundreds who became sick and died among the inoculated. Even as more people began to realize that smallpox inoculation could save lives, it was still risky. Those people who thought it was crazy to infect yourself on purpose with a serious disease did have a point. A very small number of people who got the smallpox inoculation did get very sick and even die. Even though that number was far, far fewer than the number who died from infection without inoculation, ideally someone would find a better way. A doctor named Edward Jenner would be the first one to find that better way. Jenner was inoculated in 1757 at the age of eight in Gloucester, England. As a teenager, he began training as a doctor. He was intrigued when he heard a milkmaid say that she would never get smallpox because she had already had cowpox. Actually, many people had noticed that milkmaids who care for and milk cows rarely caught smallpox and thought it had something to do with cowpox. Cowpox was a disease similar to smallpox, but that mainly infected cows. Cows usually survived, but did get red oozy sores on their udders, which could infect the person milking them. Luckily, cowpox is very mild in humans. Humans who got it might get a little sick and have a mild rash, but they didn't die and weren't left with any scars on their skin. Best of all, cowpox is similar enough to smallpox that once you've had it, your body can fight off smallpox as well.
So Jenner wondered whether the cowpox virus could be used to inoculate people who weren't milkmaids against smallpox. He found a milkmaid with cowpox sores on her hands. He took some of the pus from her sores and inoculated a child named James Phipps with it. Unsurprisingly, James, who was the son of Jenner's gardener, came down with cowpox. When he recovered, Jenner exposed James to smallpox. Remember, many other people at the time had noticed that cowpox seemed to protect people who had it from getting smallpox. Jenner must have been confident because it would have been horrible for James to get sick with smallpox. Fortunately, Jenner and the milkmaids were right. James was immune to smallpox because of the cowpox inoculation. When James grew up, Jenner let him and his family live for free in a cottage he owned. Jenner published a detailed description of his experiment with James Phipps and cowpox. He also did more experiments to make sure it really worked. He called his method a vaccine because the Latin word for cow is vacca, and of course he used a cow's disease. It took a while to catch on, but as more doctors learned about the vaccine, they encouraged their patients to get it, and after a few years it became popular in England and then throughout Europe. Jenner himself never became wealthy from his discovery, instead choosing to do whatever he could to make sure as many people as possible got his vaccine. He sent it to any doctor who requested it. He set up a small hut in his yard where he vaccinated poor people for free. One doctor brought the vaccine to America and introduced it to Thomas Jefferson. When Jefferson became president, he set up a national agency to vaccinate people in America. By the 1950s, almost everyone in Europe and North America was vaccinated for smallpox, and the disease had disappeared from these places. The rest of the world was a different story. In other parts of the world, and especially in poor countries, the disease still ravaged communities and families. The World Health Organization launched a campaign to vaccinate everyone in the whole world. The last smallpox infection was in 1977. In 1980, the World Health Organization officially declared the world free from smallpox. Smallpox is still the only human disease ever to be completely eliminated. It took the work of many doctors, parents, and some very brave children to do it. But now we have vaccines for many other diseases which help people live longer, healthier lives. Many diseases like polio, whooping cough, and measles are rare now thanks to vaccines. Overall, it seems like a good thing even if it does require a little prick now and then. We hope you enjoyed this episode about smallpox and vaccines. Be sure to tune in next Monday for a new episode.